The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing your nation's public radio source for the information you need to pursue your own personal financial independence through real estate investing. And today is the last Wednesday of the month, which traditionally has been our question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, which means there is no topic except what you want to talk about Which means the show gets super boring if you aren't brave enough to call in or email your questions in because uh, there's just there's just no set topic today. You can do that via email by going to the askvena.com website. You'll notice there's a button there that says ask Vena a question if you uh, Click that button. It'll give you a form to fill in with your question. And it also asks you from where you are writing, which is sometimes important to the answer of the question. To the question, uh, You'll notice another button there that says get the free chapter. That is because we are still to uh, this day, a week later, uh, offering a free report from last week's guest, Mr. Drew, about how to build rapport when you are negotiating. So if you'd still like to get that report, you missed it last week, you can click that button on the AskVena.com website, give us some information. And we do have it worked out now that once you do that, you immediately get the link to the report. So yay, we fixed it. three days late, but we fixed it. The number to call in the studio if you have questions for Real Life Real Estate is 877-772-9658. Again, that's 877-772-9658. Toll free from any place in the U.S. of A. And any question that you have today about real estate investing is... um, fine. You know, it's all on the table. Finding deals, selling deals, renting properties, finding financing, wholesaling, retailing, lease options, things other guests have said this month, uh, whatever you would like to ask. 877-772-9658 or askvena.com are the two ways you can contact us. Uh, Luckily, we have about 8,800 people on our real life real estate email list to get to hear 
about the show before it happens and thus are able to send in questions for question and answer week before that happens. So I'm uh, going to deal with a couple of those questions that came in before the program began. Uh, this first one is from Pete. And um, I think this is probably in response to last week's show about problems that um, investors have when negotiating. His statement is, I found that a lot of investors talk too much during negotiations. Have you found that to be the case? Uh, Well, Pete, sometimes they talk too much and sometimes they talk too little. Uh, I think if, um, if, investors have a problem with negotiating, if there's like one big overriding problem, it's that they are thinking about it wrong. There is no negotiation that you do as a real estate entrepreneur where your goal and the person with whom you are negotiating's goal isn't exactly the same. He wants to sell a house, you want to buy a house. He wants to rent a house, you want to rent a house to him. He wants a contracting job, you want a contractor. <laughs> so the, 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 the basic foundation of almost every real, uh, negotiation you're gonna do in real estate is y- you're both in agreement on what you want, you're just trying to come to a number where that works. And because folks don't seem to think of it that way, they seem to think of it as I got to beat this guy down, or he's going to try and beat me down, or this is this is this is uh, somehow um, a negotiation between two adversaries, as opposed to two people who are trying to accomplish the same thing. Uh, They are nervous about the negotiation. And yes, some people talk too much when they are nervous. Uh, On the other hand, I've seen investors who they it was like they were they were nervous to get the information they needed um i've seen investors talk to sellers and just absolutely not ask them questions like why are you selling or uh how much do you owe on that house are you willing to sell it for what you owe what's going to happen if you don't sell it it's like they think that uh, those are questions that are too personal to ask a stranger well except that stranger called you up and said they wanted to sell their house so there's certain information that you need if everybody would just think of these as conversations, you know, we both want the same thing. Let's have a conversation until we figure out if we can come to terms on that same thing. I think negotiation would be a lot easier for everybody. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. Uh, answering questions here uh, that have come in before the program, but also very prepared to ask to answer your questions at 877-772-9658. Or if you go to askvina.com, you can uh, fill in our question form there and I will receive it via email. Uh, Let's see, you just got a whole series of questions. Um, Let's see, this one is from Fred, who unless I'm mistaken, is in New Jersey, although he did not say so. Uh, He says, I understand, I think I understand that in a 
Subject to or private lending situation, a buyer safeguards the seller or private lender's interest from default on the mortgage payment by, amongst other things, preparing a quit claim deed with escrow instructions to record the deed in the event of a default on making mortgage payments. The escrow instructions are deposited with a neutral third party. However, how does the buyer protect the seller or private lender in a situation where the property taxes and or sewer fees are not paid? Further, who does the buyer make it so that the private seller or lender is timely informed in the event that the property taxes or sewer fees are not paid on time? Uh, That is a great question, Fred, and it is great for a number of reasons, uh, not the least of which is you are actually bothering to think about worst case scenarios. Too many investors do not think about worst case scenarios. They're putting together the deal on the paperwork for the deal at the beginning when everybody's still happy and everybody's in agreement about what we've agreed on. And it's not three or four years later when everybody has forgotten the details and we didn't really write them down. And oh, by the way, we forgot to file this very important piece of paper that makes it impossible for one party to enforce the contract on the other party. So, um, good for you. In general, all you folks who are listening need to be thinking at the beginning, what is the worst possible outcome here? And how do I protect myself and the other people against that outcome? Now, to your specific question, Fred, I assume you're referencing sewer fees in regards to property taxes, because probably where you live, if the sewer fees aren't paid, uh, they get attached to the property taxes. That happens in uh, many many parts of the country. If you let the sewer fees go too long, uh, they get made part of your tax bill. And then effectively, uh, they can be for you can be foreclosed on for your own sewer fees. The question, though, was how do you as the investor protect a seller who sold you the house subject to his existing loan or a private lender against the possibility that you, the buyer or your buyer at the end might not pay these things. And thus, even if the mortgage payments are being made, the property could still be foreclosed on. Um, there's a couple of answers to that. Number one, in a lot of subject to deals and a lot of properties that you're buying subject to the existing loan, the taxes and insurance are already included as part of the loan payment. So the seller would be notified of, uh, a shortage in the escrow in the same way in which they would be notified of the uh, fact that the payment hadn't been made, which is the bank is going to let them know because they are the borrower. A private lender, of course, is not in that position, nor is a uh, seller whose uh, mortgage payment did not include taxes and insurance. Either one of those people can very easily go on the web from time to time and check I mean, the, the the back taxes are right, yeah, they're right up there on the county treasurer or auditor or whoever's tax collector's website, so they can check them from time to time. Most people won't think to do that, of course, but you can certainly uh, let let your seller or private lender know. Um, the The ultimate way to make sure that all stuff gets paid and all and all parties who have an interest in whether or not it gets paid are notified if it's not, is to do what banks do and hire a third-party servicer to collect and distribute all of the payments. Now, this is something that 
most real estate investors are they're not even aware that the service exists or if they are aware that it exists they think it only exists for giant fortune 500 banks and the reality is there are loan servicers all over the country who for a fee each month ranging from oh, i've seen as little as 13 or 14 bucks a month to as much as 50 bucks a month which is a little um it's high enough to be uh uh, probably economically unfeasible for most of our deals. But for 14 bucks a month, you can set it up so that you or your buyer or whomever makes a payment to the servicer of principal and interest and taxes and insurance. The servicer then sends that sends the part of that to the bank that needs to go to the bank, sends the part to the private lender that belongs to the private lender, escrows the taxes and insurance and pays those bills when they come due and sends reports to your seller, your private lender, you, whoever is involved, uh, that it has, in fact, been paid. And furthermore, if it's a private lender situation, they will create the 1098 or 1099 forms at the end of the year for tax purposes. So it's a little bit of an extra expense. Um, in most deals, if 14 bucks a month is going to kill it, it probably wasn't that good a deal anyway. And it's something that takes that weight and the question about who escrows the taxes and are they in fact being paid and so on off your mind. And it's becoming a more and more popular way for people to do things, particularly things like sandwich deals, where in fact you bought the property subject to the existing loan and then sold it on a land contract to someone else. And it's really their responsibility to make all the payments. That way you can be satisfied that guy who's living in the house is making all the payments he's supposed to and it's all going to the right place because if it's not the servicer will let you know how about that thank you very much for your question fred you're listening to real life real estate investing it's question and answer week you can call with questions at 877-772-9658 or alternatively uh, you can send us an email by going to askvina.com Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. And it's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. Our number in the studio is 877-772-9658. Or you can send us an email with any question you have about real estate investing by going to askvina.com. We're going to go to the phones and talk to Bob on line one. Bob, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vina. How are you? Very good, Bob. How are you? Oh, I'd be good. Before I get to uh, my question, I just want to let you know I've been listening to your show for, what, four or five years now. I've grown immensely on my own as well as with your help, and I still listen to you even though I'm fairly seasoned now and get uh, a lot of valuable information. So I appreciate your tenacity for continuing with the show and keeping us all <laughs> up to speed. Well, thank you, Bob. Tenacity is the right word some weeks, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, where, where are you calling from, Bob? Oh, near Seattle. Near Seattle. Okay, great. Yeah, and I was actually, actually listening to your your show streaming on my iPhone, connected to my car while I'm driving, but I've pulled over now. <laughs> um, so I have, a, I, have, I have two questions regarding land trust. Mm -hmm. um, um, for the past uh, six years, I've been flipping homes, uh, buying them in my LLC, getting both private and hard money combinations to buy the homes and so forth and so on. This year, I've decided to start buying them in a land trust for you know, the flexibility you get with that as well as the extra very sheer layer of asset protection that uh, you would get. A um, couple
couple of things I ran into. One is um, I'm, I'm getting debt on these properties, uh, and the land trust is set up with uh, my LLC as the beneficiary, just to let you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the debt, which is recourse, uh, the lender, the private lender, wants me to sign personally on that. And since I'm the principal of the LLC that is the beneficiary, I did sign for my first loan on my first uh, acquisition this year using the land trust, you know, 123 Main Street Land Trust or Trust. Um, do you have any perspective on that, on how to handle debt uh, when you're buying through a land trust? Well, there's nothing you can do except what you did. If the okay. if the if the if the private lender and and many of them do want personal signatures, you are the appropriate person to be signing that. Uh, I'll tell you the mistake I see a lot, Bob, is that people have their trustees signing their notes. Under the under the theory oh, that well yeah. the the, tr- the trustee is the is the legal owner of the property, uh, so they should be signing the note. No, they should be signing the mortgage, but they positively yeah. should not be signing the note. That, that is yeah, the deed of trust or so and so forth. But yeah, not the note. I, I agree to that. <laughs> I thought about that, and that's not very very good for the trustee to do that. Uh, so. No, because the trustee just personally obligated themselves to pay the loan. So no, but you know, you, you, you did what you have to do in a case where there is going to be recourse. Now, let me ask you this was, were these private lenders or this private lender asking for the same thing when you were simply buying them into your LLC? Yes. Okay. So nothing's changed except that the, the trust is in place. Okay. Yeah. Except there's a trust between my LLC and, and, uh, and, and the property. Um, the other the other circumstance that I found curious is well, when I when I bought this property with the trust and my my LLC as the as the trust as the uh, beneficiary, um, I actually you know borrowed enough to have some uh, rehab money to do the rehab work. So out of escrow, I got a check for you know forty thousand dollars for the rehab work written out to one two three Main Street Trust. Mm-hmm. I went to my bank to put it in my LLC's account. They said, well, we can't deposit this. You need to open a trust account, which typical bank but um so i i ended up tearing the check up and having the escrow company wire it to my bank to my llc bank account but have you ever encountered that do you have any thoughts on how to work around that if a check has to be issued i have and we have a trust account and and the reason is uh, number one what you just described happened often enough and also it happened often enough that in the process of making the offer uh, particularly when it was a bank-owned property or a HUD property, they wanted the earnest money check to be from the buyer who was the trust. And they, uh-huh. they wouldn't take an earnest money check from the LLC or from me personally or from anybody else. So we went ahead and opened up a trust account with the trustee's name on it, but the EIN number is the EIN number of the LLC. Ah, okay. Because okay. trusts don't have EIN numbers, or they, you shouldn't get one issued to a trust. Uh, right. And that right. pretty much solved all the problems. Now we can go and deposit the the proceeds checks into the into the account, and then just move it. And we can also write earnest money checks off of that account. Got it. Okay. Now, question, and, and this may be more of a banking question, but uh, you know, I'm using uh, uh, an individual land trusts for each purchase. So do you just add those, those land trust names to that single trust account or do you open up separate trust accounts for every land trust that you buy in? The trust, is, the trust account is actually opened under the name of the trustee. 
Oh, that's right. Okay, so it's a singular account. Right. Okay, that makes sense. And need right. I need I say don't actually make the trustee the signatory on that account? I I know I know you wouldn't do this, but I ran I seriously two weeks ago, I ran across somebody whose trustee had stolen all the money out of the trust account because oh. they figured if I'm opening up a bank account under the trustee's name, they have to be the signatory, and that is not true. Yeah, they kind of. Leaves a little liability there, so uh, good, good, good advice. Well, that's all I have to ask, Evina. Thank you very much for taking my call, and uh, keep on keeping on. <laughs> Thank you for your call, Bob. Thank you. All right, uh, appreciate that. If you have questions for real life real estate investing, you can also give us a call toll free at eight seven 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 two nine six five eight, or you can go to askvina dot com. Uh, there's a little button there. You push the button and it says uh, ask Vina a question and it will come here via email. Uh, you can also still for this week uh, use that site to download the uh, white paper Mr. Drew offered last week on how to build rapport when you are negotiating. It's there on the same website, askvina.com. Um, question here from Jessica, who is in Dallas. She says, is there any way that I can listen to the program other than on the podcasts? Uh, yeah, we keep, we keep having that, that issue, Jessica, that people, people think that I'm sitting at home recording a show and then I put it up on a podcast and yet somehow on the podcast, I'm telling people to call there. There actually is a live program. And see, I, the reason I can say this to you, Jessica, is because it's going to show up on the podcast next week, and then you'll know. There is a live program. It broadcasts from WMKV in Cincinnati every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m., and that is Eastern time. So I guess that would be 4 to 5 your time, Jessica. Um, set a reminder in your phone. Uh, you can listen to it on WMKVFM.org. There's a Listen Live button there. Uh, we also have uh, now an app that you can listen uh, via that app, and I'm sure that Matt is going to run in here any second with the lengthy <laughs> link to that app. And uh, yeah, you can listen to us live and call in with live questions for our guests. So thank you for uh, giving me that opportunity to remind people that we are a live program of broadcasting uh, here live in Cincinnati from 5 to 6 p.m. We're going to take another quick break. It's question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate. Your questions at 877-772-9658 or go to askvina.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, which means without you, there is no program. So if you're sitting there saying, well, I have a question, but it's probably a stupid question. So... I, um, I'm not going to ask. Well, you know what? If you don't ask, uh, I may be sitting here in complete silence for the last 20 minutes of the show. You can call in your question at 877-772-9658. You can also send it via email. Just go to askvina.com and click the button that says ask Vina question. It's that easy. And then put your, uh, location there at the bottom and, uh, It'll come here, hopefully, uh, before the show ends. Uh, there is about a five-minute delay on that, so now would be a really good time. Also, as expected, uh, I have now been handed the place where you can download the app to listen to Real Life Real Estate live on Wednesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. It is realliferealestatemobile.com. Realliferealestatemobile.com. And then you never, ever have to miss 
another show. Unless, of course, you're not getting our weekly show notifications, which you can make sure you do by going to askvina.com and clicking the button that says get Real Life Real Estate's weekly e-letter. So I hope that's enough instruction for everybody. I've uh, got a question here from Franco in Southern California, and uh, he follows his signature line with it's 68 degrees today. No, it's not. It's like 35 degrees and spitting snow. Oh, wait, that's because I'm in Cincinnati and you're in Southern California. He says, I would like to send out letters to owner-occupied and non-owner-occupied homeowners via a list. What parameter should I use in developing my list and why would you use those particular parameters? Well, um, Franco, that question is so broad that I'm not 100% sure where to start in answering it because my, my question to you were you sitting here in front of me would be, owner-occupied and non-owner-occupied homeowners fitting what category? What, what, what would make you go after those particular people? And if you told me, oh, well, these are all people who live in a neighborhood where I want to buy, or these are all people who own a particular house, type of house or type of building that I want to buy, I would say stop right there because you are going about your marketing backwards. You are looking for somebody who owns a house that you want when in fact what you should be looking for is somebody who needs to sell a house. Do you see the difference? There's, wow, I would really love to own a rental in this neighborhood. So I'm going to write to everybody in this neighborhood. And then there's, I'm looking for a great deal and I will figure out whether to rent it or wholesale it or lease option or whatever after I find the great deal. Then the, the parameters that you need to fit these people into are people who are likely to need to sell their property, not want to sell it, need to sell it. So those would be people such as folks who are maybe in foreclosure, um, folks who have inherited a property, folks who have um, you, you, driving for dollars. You know, you're driving around a neighborhood, you see a house with a big hole in the roof. A pretty good bet that whoever owns that house didn't intend to own a house with a hole in the roof, but now they do, and apparently they can't afford to fix it or it wouldn't have a hole in the roof. So that would be somebody who would go onto my list, right? Uh, there's all sorts of reasons that people come around to needing to sell their property, and it has very little to do with what kind of property it is or where it is. Now, you cannot buy a list of everybody in a particular place that needs to sell their house, but you can buy or develop lists of people who are behind in their payments and people who inherited houses and people who have building orders against their properties and uh, people whose houses are on a vacant property list if your city keeps a vacant property list. So there's there's bunches of different ways to go at that. As a matter of fact, if I if I sat here and, um, and, and thought about it for five minutes, I could probably come up with 18 different potential lists for you. They are not all going to be lists that would turn up the kind of properties you want. And because I don't know what the kind of properties you want might be, I can't tell you which of those might be most effective for you. But for instance, let's say you're looking for attractive houses that you can buy subject to the existing loan and then turn around and lease option to an owner occupant. Uh, someone whose house is on the uh, city's teardown list is probably, no matter how badly they want to sell it, that doesn't fit your 
needs for your exit strategy. So what is the exit strategy? Number one. And number two, who is going to have that kind of property and be likely to want or need to sell it? You're listening to Real Life Real Estate. It's question and answer week. Time for you to call in or write in with your questions at 877-772-9658 or via our website at askvina.com. Um question from it just says thank you Vina in great big letters at the bottom there's no signature it's from JE that's the email address it's from JE uh, and this question was actually for Donna Bauer who is uh, who was the guest here on real life real estate two weeks ago if you'd like to check out her uh, interview on the podcast Donna was talking about buying and selling notes and mortgages. And JE's question is, what are the three to five steps you recommend for getting started for someone who knows nothing yet? And um, I can tell you right now, JE, that step number one is going to be get more educated about the note buying business. There is... There's no more to know about that than there is to know about wholesaling or landlording or whatever. Uh, it's different stuff than you would need to know for a strictly speaking real estate strategy as opposed to a financing strategy. And the thing about note buying is it doesn't come quite as naturally to people as something like landlording because most of us at some point or another we've at least lived in a rental property, right? We've at least been a tenant in a tenant landlord situation. So we seem to have a, a more, I don't know, sort of inbred instinctive grasp on that uh, than we do on uh, something like note buying. In some ways that's an advantage though, because uh, we don't have to unlearn things that we know that are wrong. So number one, get some more education. Donna, as you probably know, is appearing at Cincinnati RIA at our first April meeting. That is a, um, I'm sorry, our first March meeting, which is the 7th of March. Um, that is a guest night. So feel free to just show up and say you heard about it on Real Life Real Estate Investing. Uh, Donna can fill you in on a lot of the basics there at that meeting on Thursday night. Uh, you can get more information about that and about her upcoming Saturday session at CincinnatiRia.com. Uh, she's also appearing in Columbus at the Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs Meeting in April. So if Columbus is closer to you, you can go there. More information about that at CentralOhioInvestors.com. Now, um, <clears throat> a lot of people uh, are able to kind of get the education, get the basics, and then they don't take the second important step, which is do whatever people are doing that is making them successful note buyers. I mean, part of any real estate education is, all right, so here's the here's the basic thing, and here's the kind of deal you're looking for, and here's the kind of seller you're looking for, and um, the way to go about actually doing one of these deals is to do A, B, C, D, E, and F. Just do A, B, C, D, E, and F. Even if you don't think it'll work, even if you, even if you think it's too scary, yeah, don't 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 reinvent the wheel and don't sit around and think of all the reasons that it won't work. Because while you're sitting around and thinking of the reasons it won't work, there's people out there who are doing it and doing it successfully. There is practically no path in the real estate investing world that has not been trod for you. 
Someone has, has already made the mistakes, already figured it out. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Boy, that's an old saw, but you do not need to reinvent the wheel. You need to find somebody who's already doing what you want to do and doing it successfully. And you need to do what they're doing, even if you have to pay them to find out what that is. So um, I know I was speaking for Donna. That question was actually for her, but I promise you she would have said the same thing had she still been sitting here in the studio. 877-772-9658 with your questions here on question and answer week. You can also send us an email by going to askvina at gmail.com. Clicking the Ask Vina a Question button. We'll get it here in the studio. Looking forward to your questions right after this break. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It is question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, which means uh, it's audience participation, which means uh, if there are questions that you have about any aspect of real estate investing, you can give us a call. 877-772-9658. Or you can send us an email. And the way that you go about doing that is you go to askvina.com and send in the, uh, to push the button that says uh, um, send Vina an email and then mysteriously uh, it will arrive here. Is that note supposed to mean something to George me? George had to pick it up in his studio. <laughs> okay. Okay. And the name is Cappy. Okay. We're going to be talking to Cappy. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate. <laughs> Hey, thanks, Vina. Real quick question. Um, regarding setting up an LLC in order to hold your real estate investments in, would it make sense to go to one of the discount online, I don't want to mention any names, <laughs> but go in and plug in your state, pay your $99 and get your LLC set up? Or do you think it makes better sense or is it better for the investor to go and uh, and spend the money, sit down with an attorney and get the whole big shebang? Well, I, boy, I could make an argument on either side of that. And which argument I made to you would start with some questions about, are you the only member of that LLC? Are you always going to be the only member of that LLC? Uh, what, how, how complex is the deal? are the deals that the LLC is doing? I mean, are they quick in, quick out, wholesale deals, things like that? No, mostly just buy and hold, I'm thinking. But then I, I, well, from what I've read, it said that it's not advisable to have a single me- member LLC because it's just too easy to pierce the veil. So it might be a thing where I would put, you know, my son as a 2% member or my daughter or my sister or something like that just to keep more than just one person on there. But, um, yeah, I was just curious about that because there are all kinds of different places that will offer, you know, hey, we'll set up your LLC for $500 or, you know, buy this kit and you can put it together yourself for 1000 or what have you. Mm-hmm. Or then they, you have the discount online places that will do it for you for, you know, a nickel. So I just wasn't sure um, which one was more advisable um, in terms of like. And for, I'm interested more in just buy and hold and um, and uh, and get the cash flow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, here's here's the thing. Um, all you get uh, from most most of the discount, be it online or you actually used to be able to buy those in contract packs at Staples, uh, is the basic. Uh, filing that happens with the state, okay? And then perhaps a very simple operating agreement. Okay. You can do the filing with the state yourself, 
I mean, seriously, you can go online, download the application, pick out a name, fill it out, send the state a check, and you're done. Uh, you, and then you call the IRS and say, I need, a, I need an EIN number, and they issue one for you. That, that part, very easy to do yourself. The okay. part that you need to have a real legal professional step in on is the operating agreement. Okay. And that is that is particularly true when there are going to be other folks and particularly folks that are not related to you or that um, could at some point not be related to you, spouses, for instance. Sure. Uh, um, because it, it's the operating agreement that not only it's important because if the if there's ever a court case and the other attorney is in fact trying to pierce the corporate veil it, it's you know good to have a real operating agreement and show that you not only have one but are, have been following the terms of it uh, but sure. in, in addition to that something again along the lines of things that people don't think about at the beginning when everybody's happy mm-hmm. is what happens let's let's let's, let's just um hypothesize that at some okay. point you're going to bring in a, a money partner into your LLC. He's going to provide the money. You're going to find the deals. You're going to split the profits. Okay. Mm. What happens if one or the other of you doesn't think that the other one's doing their job? What what happens? What happens if one or the other of you gets divorced and the spouse ends up with the LLC membership in the divorce? What happens if one or the other of you becomes incapacitated and thus the you, you, you possibly you potentially cannot do business like you, you can't go right. sign a check? Uh, what happens if one or the other you just decides they want out of the real estate business? Right. That can all be addressed in the operating agreement by okay. someone who has seen this before in real estate um, situations and it, it makes things so much easier. You know, when something goes wrong, it's so much easier if it's already addressed right. in the operating agreement. Um, I have seen so many real estate partnerships of various types. You know, sometimes they're split the work partnerships. Sometimes they're this guy's the money guy. I'm the work guy partnerships. I've seen, I've seen so many of them go bad in a way that financially destroyed one or more of the partners it's it's like a divorce only uglier wow because there's there's potentially you know multiple properties involved and uh, you know now now the partner who actually has access to the bank account is refusing to make the payments because the other partner's saying he wants the house and then everybody's in foreclosure and I, I, it just it, it takes sometimes years to untangle and it's disastrous and they're selling their properties for less than what they have in them and doing short sales and all and it all could have been dealt with in the operating agreement up front. Ah, uh, okay. So the operating agreement basically is the is the is the the bread and butter. I it, mean, that's really where you it's separate, the governing uh, document. Right. Yes, it is the governing document. It is the thing that needs to be paid attention to when the uh, LLC is actually taking any action. Uh, people, people, okay. people in single member LLCs or like you, where you are, you're. It may not be a single member LLC, but let's face it, you're running it. Right. I mean, it's it's your LLC Uh, tend to start thinking of their LLC as if it were them, you know, Mm -hmm. and you know how you can tell that is when you hear real estate investors talk about their properties, they say, I own 35 properties when in fact they own zero properties. What they own is three LLCs. Right. That own properties. But that's, you know, mentally it's like, well, it's my LLC. It's my company. I own the property. 
the problem the problems start happening when they start acting as if those are their properties and when they when they don't create resolutions to sell the properties resolutions to open the bank accounts when they use the checking account from the LLC to buy groceries at the grocery store uh, <laughs> things things like that um, can cause both tax and uh, liability problems if you know if some attorney wants to say yeah I see it's in an LLC but the, he's been treating it like it's not really a company because you can see he, he you know he uses the debit card from the LLC bank account to buy gas for himself all the time um, right. Thus, thus there should be no LLC, and you know the court will agree with that sometimes. And so, if it's a, if it's a thing where, let's say, it's a it's not a single member, it's myself as the primary member. I own ninety four percent, and then uh, two other people own three percent. But in the operating agreement, it states they will not be making any decisions. They will not be responsible for any blah blah blah, and uh, and that the management of the LLC is is uh, strictly my responsibility. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Can it get ugly then when it dissolves and they say, hey, I want my 3%? If in the operating agreement it says, you know, upon being dissolved, each member will get, you know, X amount or that sort of thing, or is, is that where the operating agreement gets important, where right. you more, iron all that out in advance? Yeah, more commonly what it says is that those those minority members, that, that in this case sounds like it's going to be your kids, um, right. they, 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 it, it's very restricted within the operating agreement how they can get out. It it may right. say it may say um, until the LLC is actually sold or dissolved, your the value of your membership units is one dollar a piece, or the value is whatever you can get somebody to pay you, or you can't sell your membership units, or um, uh, you can only sell them to the manager. You know, so th- right. there's 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 all sorts of controls like that that can be put in, and you, I mean you're absolutely right in in thinking that way. Because okay. I've, I have often, very early on in my real estate career, I started a business with a partner. And the the operating agreement was one of these buy it at a discount store operating agreements. It was not very complete. And I have many, many times in anger threatened to sell my half of the LLC, which would make him 50-50 partners, uh, to his worst enemy in the world for a dollar. <laughs> like, like, I'm just going to sell it to Joe over here and you can deal with him. And I'm only going to charge Joe a dollar, so I know he's going to buy it. So, yeah, I I was actually thinking on the way to the show today about how loosely real estate entrepreneurs treat the paperwork part of their business compared to other business people. Um, how, how, How likely they are to try and create their own contract or do the discount LLC rather than sit down with somebody and really think through uh, what what it should say and spend the money on what it should say and, and thinking, why is it? I mean, I, I don't think other small businesses do that. Other small businesses, if they want to create a contract with a supplier, they go to an attorney and they get a contract and they, <laughs> they think about it very carefully. And, and we just like, you know, rip something out of a book and make some random changes to it and say, okay, this is good and, and, and use it and, and, we're talking about very big investments, right? right? I mean, even even if you're not, even if you're doing no money down deals, you're still doing on fifty thousand dollar assets. So, right. the the idea of of trying to save a lot of money by doing things in the cheapest way possible seems to be endemic in the real estate community, and yet at the same time, that is where I see a lot of the problems come from. Is later on down the road when your kids are grown up. Mm-hmm. And they say, "Wow, Dad's company's worth three million dollars. My three percent of it 
worth quite a bit of money now. I want that. And right. dad has not put anything in the operating agreement that keeps them from demanding that in cash right now. All right. Okay. Sounds good. I appreciate the advice. Thank you. You're very welcome. And we appreciate your phone call. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. We've got just a couple of minutes left, so we're going to go to the AskVena.com website and see what we got here. We've got a question here from Mike in Flint, Michigan. He says, need to know what you would do if the rental market is going down the toilet and you can't make it here while the city is raising taxes, fees, and land bank issues. How do you get rid of houses you can't sell for the amount owed or even free and clear for... Because they, with three years of back taxes, the back taxes are more the property is worth. Going to have to start giving them back to the bank soon. Do you keep better ones and let go of the ones that are in the city and can't rent for months, even lowering the rents? Don't help get good tenants. Also, there's 25% unemployment, and we're losing jobs here monthly. Uh, yeah, Mike, we are, and you in particular, being where you are, uh, never, ever, ever expected to see a combination of real estate market crash and employment market crash, the the likes of which we have seen in the last four or five years. You are certainly not the only real estate investor who is sitting around thinking, how much longer am I going to feed these properties when they are worth significantly less than what I owe the bank? And I can't get good people into them. And when I do, I can't keep them because they don't have jobs. So what you're going to have to do is the same thing that what that lots of folks are doing, which is make some tough decisions about what you can reasonably pay for these properties. And then you need to go to your lenders and tell them what those things are. And you, what, what, what most folks are doing is they're going to their banks and they're saying, look, this property here is um, cash flowing $350 a month when I have it rented. My taxes are $75 a month. My maintenance is $100 a month because I can only keep it rented for three months at a time. Um, I need to make $100 a month in order to make this work for me. Thus, I can pay you $50 a month. Would you like me to pay you $50 a month or would you like the property? And then the bank gets to make the decision. Are they going to foreclose on you? Are they going to let you buy your own properties back at a discount, which I have seen? Uh, Are they going to do a loan modification and kick the can down the road, which is often the smartest thing they can do? Uh, You can't, you just cannot, you cannot keep struggling against something that you didn't cause and that there isn't likely to be a change to and certainly not a change you can affect. You need to start asking your lenders to um, bear some of the uh, loss from this. So um, good luck to you, Mike. And uh, sorry that you're in this position, but so are a lot of other folks. Thank you very much for your question. This has been Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am always, am your host, Davina Jones-Cox, and we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.